What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Twilight Nine podcast. This is episode 37. I'm your host, Riley. This week, we actually have a decent amount to talk about. It's been a little bit quiet on the PGA Tour, obviously, with some smaller tournaments here for a stretch before we get to the PGA down in Carolina, Kiwa Island. But we have a lot to talk about. we got the Zurich Classic to recap. Mark Leishman and Cameron Smith winning a playoff over Ustazen and Charles Schwartzel. It was actually a really good tournament. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the format, whether it should be changed, stay the same, what format's a little bit better, if they should add an event that's a certain format. We're going to talk about everything because golf Twitter was a little bit busy on Sunday discussing what was better golf to watch. I have an opinion on it. It was a really good tournament, actually. Uh, the Mullet Boys, so sick. What they were doing, Mark Leishman played right into it, found the song, celebrated with putting a wig on. It was perfect. The uh, the Aussies got it done. And that was, that was the pair before the week even started last week on the show where I was going all, all, over all the pairs and it was like, that is the one that stood out in my mind. Like, if they're not the betting favorite, they should be because they're going to win. Like, that team, they were playing really good golf. Leishman was coming off a top 10, even a top 5, I think, at the Masters. Cameron Smith has been playing lights-out golf over the last couple months. Really good week at the RBC Heritage. So that was the team that was probably coming in, playing the best golf, obviously had the nationality thing right there, both Australian, that works for sure. And they beat two guys that are probably going to be on the international team when it comes uh, President's Cup time. But it was a really good tournament. So we're going to be talking about that. Obviously, we're going to be previewing this week's Valspar Championship. Uh, I've been to that tournament a couple times. I went to the University of South Florida in Tampa when I was at college. And I've been to this course multiple times. I've watched the tournament multiple times in person. It was really awesome. I was there the year that Tiger almost won it. So what was that? Was that... 20 is that 2018 I think maybe uh it was really good that was actually the first time I saw Tiger in person it was like one of those things where watching him on the range is just like holy shit that's actually Tiger Woods so I've been here so I know the course a little bit we're gonna preview that the field's actually pretty decent this is another one of the tournaments that it all kind of depends how the guys are playing is how the field goes if you got a bunch of high names that aren't playing great they go to this golf tournament because it's a pretty good test. The scoring's usually not that low. It rarely reaches double digits, the winner. So it's a tough test. So it's a good place to kind of get the game back a little bit, see if you can really go out there and, and play some pretty damn good golf, because if you don't, you're going to miss the cut. It's a tough course. And the field this week is pretty good. The world number one, DJ's there, JT is there, and some other big names, P. Reed is there, who we're going to talk about later. But it's a pretty good tournament. Copperhead is awesome. Innisbrook Resort in general is really cool. Their island course is gorgeous and probably, in my opinion, actually probably harder than the Copperhead course. But talk about all that. And then after we do a couple headlines, we're going to talk about what everybody has been talking about. And I wish I was able to talk about it last week on the show because I think it came out on Tuesday, maybe. And I'm still getting around to, I'm still trying to figure out the I don't want to say plan, but I'm still trying to figure out, I guess, the plan of the second show a week. So if you guys are listening and have any sort of uh, feedback for me, I want to know if you guys would want a show where I know I've got a couple interviews coming up with some pretty cool people. uh, So that'll be going out probably on Fridays, but the Friday show, it can either be like recorded Friday morning and kind of be a look ahead to the weekend betting wise, or it can kind of just be like me and a buddy or me and a person that I'm interviewing kind of just shooting the shit about golf, how our games are right now and kind of go through that, right? Just have kind of like coffee and chat Friday morning and then post it. So 
reach out to me on Instagram, whatever, whatever you guys want to hear, would rather hear, would you rather hear me talk about Louis Ustason going into the weekend? Is he a betting blah, 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 something like that. Or me just cocking back, shooting the shit about my own golf game, maybe a golf tip here and there, interviews, that kind of stuff. Cause obviously the Tuesday show is meant for the betting side, but the Friday show can be pretty much anything, especially with a couple of interviews lined up here coming soon. It's going to be pretty awesome. So let me know what you think, but I wish I was able to talk about this on the Friday show if I had it you know, planned out, is the player impact program. You guys, if you listen to this show, you follow golf, you heard about this. It's pretty much a program to pay the top players who, quote-unquote, move the needle for golf, for the PGA Tour, bringing in fans, paying sponsors, all that kind of shit. We're going to deep... We're going to go into all five aspects. It was originally six, but then Golf Week reported that one of them wasn't really true. So it's really five things, how it splits up, blah, blah, blah. We're going to go into all that. But before that, headlines. Bork Henderson wins on the LPGA Tour at the LA Open, uh, Wilshire Country Club. If you guys don't know that golf course, that's my guy, Eric Lang. He used to belong to that country club. So he's been to that tournament a couple times, know the course really well. But the golf course is beautiful. Uh, It was in really good shape. Brooke Henderson wins final round four under to win by one over Jessica Corda. Those Corda sisters are a fucking problem. I was watching the golf a little bit over the weekend. I love the LPGA. And those Corda sisters, Corda sisters, excuse me, are a goddamn problem. Brooke Henderson is only 23 years old, and this is her 10th win on the LPGA Tour. She was sick on Sunday. She has a long swing, really powerful, awesome girl to watch golf. I love it. Very free-flowing. And it was just a really, really good tournament. I really actually like that golf course. So Brooke Henderson gets it done in the LPGA Tour. And then probably the biggest news on tour this week, aside from the player impact program coming out, Tiger Woods posted a picture on his Instagram. The very first time we saw Tiger after the accident. And the thing about that, that everybody kind of got all hyped about was we didn't really know the extent of the injuries. We obviously knew that his legs were impacted. How was the back going to do? How did it impact the rest of his body and all that kind of stuff? But we didn't really know the extent of the leg injuries. Like we didn't know which ones would hurt, how bad they were hurt, blah, blah, blah. Well, the other day, Tiger goes to Instagram, posts a picture at I don't know what golf course he was at. It was one in Florida because I don't think he can travel, but he said something about my golf course is coming along better than I am, I think was the caption to it. He had his dog by his side, but he was on crutches, and only one leg was in a cast. The other one was just fine. He had his sneakers on, shorts on. The other one was, like, fine. So it got me thinking, and it got Twitter thinking. If you don't think this man is going to come back and play golf at some point, you're a fucking crazy person. This man loves golf more than anybody that has ever lived. And he looks a hundred times better than I thought he was going to look when I would see the first picture of Tiger come out post-accident. I thought it was going to be one of those things where he was just going to be in the bed, blanket over him. Thanks for your thoughts and prayers. I'm healing up as fast as I can, blah, blah, blah. This, he's strolling around on crutches, obviously, but only one leg is in a cast And I think the next day or two days after he was in a golf cart watching Charlie play golf, this dude's fucking going to come back. Like there is no doubt in my mind that this man is going to play golf on the PGA Tour again. No doubt in my mind. And I get that that shouldn't be the concern right now. And I 100% agree. But the condition, I guess if you want to call it, that might be a weird way to say it. The condition of Tiger Woods is, is like I said, a hundred times better than I thought he would look. 
So if you think that has like changed my perspective on what the goal should be, you're absolutely right. At first, it's like, oh, no, who gives a fuck about golf right now? Get those legs healthy and just be able to walk with your your kids again. Now it looks like that he has one leg to heal. Who knows how bad it is, right? We still don't know the extent. But if it's just a long recovery process, then he's good to go, especially if that back held up to the impact of the car crash. Tiger Woods is going to be fucking back. And you're crazy to think that he's not going to maybe even win another golf tournament before the time is his time is done. He looks so good. Obviously, we're rooting for Tiger. Love fucking Tiger Woods. He's the reason why 99% of us are into the game of golf. It was just really good to see him with a smile on his face and then the tour, maybe even been the day after, out watching Charlie. So Tiger Woods, is uh, he's going to be back. But anyway, let's get into this player impact program because this is one of the things that's very divisive right now on tour, not only with the players, but... I would say 90% of the, I hate to call them personalities in golf, but the, like the shambles of the world and all the guys that are on golf channel and write for these golf websites and are on TV on CBS and all that shit. They fucking hate it. I'm, I couldn't be sitting, I think on the fence more, if I'm going to be honest with you. So this program, if you guys don't know, or want some more detail, this program will pay players who move the needle. Many people across the world of golf believe this is a direct response to the Premier Golf League, which was like a Saudi Arabia thing that they were going to start. And instead of the players earning their money due to their performance on the golf course, this league was just going to pay the biggest names in the sport just like an appearance fee. Like, here, here's $5 million. Here, come play in this golf tournament. That's what that was going to be. And uh, many believe this is a direct response to that. Like, hey, 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 we don't want you to go over there. And I don't think anybody was ever going to go over there, but it kind of forced their hand. They needed to do something. And this is like, hey, for the top 10 guys who average in all these categories, there's going to be a $40 million purse that's split between the top 10 guys in this move the needle program. And it's going to be determined by five categories. We're going to go over in a second. But the first place winner is going to get $8 million added onto their (laughs) salary at the end of the year. Crazy amount. And I'm going to look up the article that I wrote for uh, Golficity just so I don't give you guys the wrong uh, information. But like $8 million, that's a fuck ton of money. But it's based on uh, five categories. It was originally six, but then the report from Golf Week came out or got edited, and it's down to five. So five categories. Popularity in Google search, number one. Number two, their Nielsen brand exposure rating, which places a value on the exposure a player delivers to sponsors through the minutes they are featured on broadcast. So if you're playing really well and you're always on TV, that's going to count because those sponsors on your shirt, Nike, Titleist, RBC, all that shit, that goes into that. Their Q rating, which measures the familiarity and appeal of a player's brand, a.k.a. Tiger Woods, you think Tiger Woods, you think Phil Mickelson, and you think Ricky Fowler are the three that come to my mind right away, right? That is, those are the three guys that come to my mind, the player's brand. Outside of their sponsorships, outside of all of that, you could argue that Ricky might be number like two in that category outside of Tiger Woods. Anyway, their MVP index rating, which calibrates the value of the engagement a player drives across social media and digital channels. This is the one that is crazy to me. Not crazy, I guess, but 
actually, let's get to that in a second. Number five, their meltwater mentions or the frequency with which a player generates coverage across a range of media platforms. So those, those last couple seem completely determined by a presence on social media, right? And being active and getting the thing that PGA tour probably has in their head is like getting people into the game of golf by like interacting with different people on social media. That's great. What's going to happen is, and you kind of already saw it if you saw Brooks Kepka at all on Twitter over the last week and pretty much over the last couple weeks. I don't know if he knew this was coming, but Brooks Kepka has been like unusually active on Twitter. Usually he kind of stays to himself a little bit, maybe a chirp here and there. He's been all over the place for the last couple of weeks and good for him. If he wants to win all that money, he should. And he's one of the best players in the world. But what's going to happen is maybe some guys don't go to the social media route. Like I know for a fact, because he's my guy, Roy McIlroy doesn't use social media. I don't even think... He doesn't go on Instagram or Twitter anymore, and I think he has other people like run those accounts for him, right? That's just a thing. JT uses Twitter and Instagram a little bit, just enough for a little updates. Bryson, same way. He's a fucking maniac, but he posts his videos sometimes. Tiger, never. Phil, all the fucking time, right? Ricky, eh, a little bit. It's a lot of sponsors. But what I'm saying is Max Homa is probably the biggest one. He posted the greatest tweet of all time when this program was announced. It was fucking incredible. But what I'm trying to say is those couple sections tell me that the the biggest players in the world are going to continue to be the best paid players in the world. It's going to be really hard for like a Charles Schwartzel or a Louis Ustase and get more active on social media when one, I've never met a Louis Ustazen fan. Maybe except from, I've never met one. Obviously his home country obviously has a bunch of fans, but I've never met a Louis Oosthuizen fan, right? Like who follows Louis Oosthuizen on Instagram aside from like Golf Digest? It's going to be difficult for even lower than that for these guys to move up these rankings and be more active on social media. Like a lot of people don't, it's only 10 people. Like sure, the Charles Schwartzel or Charles Howell III could go get super active on Twitter. That doesn't mean he's going to break into the top 10 of these rankings. It's the top 10. And it's going to be it's going to be the best players in the world. And like I said, so this is from this is from uh, Golf Week, but I typed it up in Golficity. A simulation was done with the 2019 numbers in all of these categories to give an example what the list of players would look like, right? In the memo sent out to all the players on tour, this was also sent out. No surprise, Tiger Woods was at the top. And like Brooks Kepka said, he should be every single year with what he's done for golf. He should get that bonus at the end of every single year just because of what he's done for golf. The rest of the top 10 was Roy McIlroy, which is understandable because in 2019, he won the FedEx Cup that year. Brooks Kepka was number three. Phil Mickelson was number four. Then Ricky was number five. Uh, the bar, six through 10 was Spieth, DJ, JT, Rosie, and Adam Scott. Uh, Rosie and Adam Scott are a little surprising to me. I know Rosie a couple years ago, I think he was like either number one in the world. I know he got to number one in the world at one point, but I don't know how long he stuck around there. Um, I think did Adam Scott, no, that was 2020 when the, one of the Genesis, that one is a little bit surprising to me to be completely honest, but that's the top 10. So you're talking about 10 of the biggest players in the entire world would just be getting an additional 8 million, 4 million. I don't know. It didn't, I don't think I ever saw like a complete breakdown of the place and money that each guy would get. So to summarize, very on the fence about this. Obviously, it's it has good intentions. Like that's what they should do to grow the game a little bit better, have these guys be a little bit more on social media. Cause to be honest, like 
NBA players in baseball and all these guys like use Twitter a lot. Golf, there's not a lot of guys that use social media a lot. So I don't really know. We'll have to see if it works out. Time will tell, right? It's going to start January 1 of next year. We'll see how it goes. But I'm very, very on the fence about it as we stand right now. But let's get into the Zurich. Mark Leishman, Cameron Smith, winning a playoff over Louis Uzdazen and Charles Schwartzel. Shot of the week, pretty obvious, was they were on 16, the par four in the final round on Sunday. Cam's tee shot, it's drivable. Cam's tee shot finds the water on the left. Mark takes a drop greenside in the rough, makes a chip for birdie. That was kind of like a momentum shift. And the important thing, let me take my hood off real quick. I feel like I'm fucking making noises and shit in the microphone. The You have to take advantage of the four ball rounds. You need to shoot really, really low scores in those rounds or you're not going to be able to keep up with the field. But this team did exactly that. They did a very good job of taking advantage of those four ball days. They shot 63 both times. And then an alternate shot, they did enough to hang around. They shot, I think, even par in round two and then two under on Sunday. So they did enough to stick around, which was huge. And like I said at the top of the show, their mullet celebration was perfect. Before the week, I think... It was maybe it was even Wednesday. Mark Leishman uh, gave Cameron Smith a little uh, little chop of the mullet, little shave on the side, cleaned it up a little bit, and then I think Mark Leishman just Googled the mullet song, and whatever came up, that's what they used for the intro song, their little walk up song. That's what the Zurich does. It was perfect. And then Cameron Smith, after the tournament, quote: "I would have to apologize to my girlfriend. It's not going away. I mean, I feel like it's part of me now." Perfect quote. You win a golf tournament. He's been in the mix pretty much every single week. He's teed it up for the last, what, two or three months. He's been in the mix all the time, and I think it has a little something to do with the mullet, to be completely honest. He's vibing right now. And when it comes to the format, this was this generated a lot of buzz online also. It was which format is better, right? Do you enjoy seeing best ball where it's a fucking birdie fest, right? If you don't shoot 62 to 64, you're losing ground on the field. Or is the alternate shot better? And I think to determine a winner of the golf tournament, I think alternate shot is definitely better. Like I love how cut day is alternate shot and winning day is alternate shot. I think that's set up perfectly, right? You go low, really, really low the first day. And if you don't, you're fucked, right? Because alternate shots are really hard and you're not probably going to gain up a lot of ground. But if you shoot 10 under on Thursday and then you struggle an alternate shot and shoot plus three, plus four, you're probably going to miss the cut. So I think it's a perfect combination, especially on Sunday when if you don't take advantage of the first two days and then you go crazy low on Saturday, then you can try to make up a little bit of ground on Sunday. I think it's set up really good. But to determine a winner of a golf tournament, I think alternate shot is by far better. I think it's just more entertaining because it's more you need to know the other's guy. You need to know the your partner's game really well. Distances, where you want to be left, right side of the fairway, left side of the fairway, all this kind of stuff. You need to know everything. What's their strength, what their weakness, and play around everything. And it's perfect. When it comes to best ball, somebody's in the fairway, the other partner just bombs it as far as they can, blah, blah, blah. It's a birdie fest. My opinion, alternate shot. And I saw this. I don't know. I forget the first tweet that I saw that brought it up, but I saw, would you want 
an event on the PGA Tour that's strictly alternate shot. So a week just like this, right, you get Pears, you get Cameron Smith, you get Louis Ustazen and, and Charles Swartzer, you get Max Homa and Taylor Gooch, you get all these teams, but instead of the first uh, day being four ball, Thursday through Sunday is all alternate shot. And in my opinion, that would be fucking incredible. Because not only would both players need to play really, really well, which in a normal golf tournament, you need to play pretty well, almost, I mean, you can get away with like a one even par round or something like that to win a golf tournament. If you have another one, that's pretty low, but you need to be on the mark every single day to win a golf tournament. I think alternate shot, you would have to be the same thing. Each one of the partners would have to be on the money all four days to win that golf tournament. I think it would be incredible. And I think you would see a lot more guys be a little bit more strategic with their pairing. They wouldn't just join the field and then get a random partner. You would have guys going in there with a partner that they've played well in the uh, Ryder Cup with, for example. Like you would have Tommy Fleetwood and Francesco Molinari coming in together and playing in that, let's just call it, dessert, if they just switched the Zerg class or alternate shot. You'd see those guys go to New Orleans and play in it because they're great as a pair. Like, a, like four or five years ago, you'd see Jordan Spieth and Patrick Reed enter the golf tournament because they're great as a pair. DJ and Brooks. Um, Ian Poulter and Rory McIlroy, like you would see those kind of things. And I think it would be fucking awesome, especially when you get like the nationality type thing comes into it. Like Mark Leishman and Cameron Smith, fantastic player, both players, both playing really good golf and both playing for the same country. That's just the formula to win that kind of golf tournament. And I just think it would be so fucking cool to have an all alternate shot tournament because it would be a grind. It'd be a grueling test of golf. Depending on the golf course, it would be tough to see a winning score get to double digits. I think it would be right around nine under, eight under, 10 under to win that golf tournament. You would just need to gut it out. A team like a Jordan Spieth and Patrick Reed, I think, would have a good chance of winning because they're both really just like grinders they just grind over every single shot and I think that would be so cool to watch but I'm definitely in favor of it who knows if that'll ever happen if it does that'll come from the fans but I thought it was a pretty cool topic on Twitter because I think it would just be so fucking entertaining watching those guys go alternate shot all week I just think by far four balls cool just because you see teams shoot 62 61 or whatever even lower than that some years but alternate shot is just like these guys just need to know each other so well and they got to be good buddies. And you see it. The guys at the top of the leaderboard, the pairs at the top are pretty good friends. Like John Rahm and Ryan Palmer were right there. Tony Finau and Cameron Champ are there for most of the time. Like those guys know each other really well. And those are the guys that kind of get to the top of the leaderboard. Aside, Kevin Kisner and Scotty Brown missed the cut this year. But the first three years, those kind of teams rise to the top of the leaderboard because they're good friends, they understand each other's games, and it's fucking awesome. So an alternate shot tournament would be sick. Top five, Louis Ustazen and Charles Schwartzer. Also, obviously, uh, second place, Richie Wierenski and Peter Uline, who Peter has actually been playing some pretty decent golf on the Corn Ferry. So that position for them does not surprise me at all. This was a complete mess on my part when it came to the betting card. Billy Horschel and Sam Burns. I don't know if I just didn't see that team when I was going over the DraftKings uh, odds, but that would have been the most obvious top 10 bet of all time. I have no idea what their odds were. I don't even remember if I talked to him about them on the show last week, but Billy has been playing lights out golf for two months, and Sam Burns had the lead at the Genesis a couple months ago and has also kind of spurted up some leaderboards recently. That was the biggest, That was the easiest bet of all time. That's a complete miss by me. Keith Mitchell and Sneds, 
And then the last pair in the top five, Keegan Bradley and Brandon Steele, which I think is a pair that I did mention last week on the show. I didn't end up pulling trigger on a bet, but that's a miss also. Brandon Steele has been, I don't know if he's even missed a cut in 2021 yet. Keegan Bradley over the last two, three months had been playing crazy consistent golf. So that's a complete whiff by me, to be completely honest. Those two whiffs. Uh, Our bet wise, mixed, uh, we missed Max and Taylor Gooch. Had them for a top 10. They finished two shots outside the top 10. They'd never had that like really low round. The first day, I think they shot six under, but the leader was at like 10, and then they were never able to really get it back. Didn't take advantage of the um, four ball days with, like we would like to see, but they topped 20. It's a good finish for them, but we didn't hit that one. Surprise of the weekend, like I already said, was Kevin Kisner and Scotty Brown missing the cut. So obviously missed that bet. That's a little bit of a bummer. That was kind of like the bet that I had in the back. Like I'll take a couple stretches, right? We had plus 200 odds, on, plus 200 plus odds in the other two bets. And that Brownie and Kiz bet was kind of, all right, we'll hit this one and hopefully we just hit another one. But it just didn't happen. So I don't know. And then the one bet we did hit, which I guess was nice that we only had three bets because this actually covered losing the other two was we just nailed the Cameron Smith leash top ten, five bet. Easy money, plus 220, so that plus 200 covers the two that we missed. So we were up 0.2 units. Very, very blah. Uh, but another week in the green, I don't. I think that's, what, two or three weeks a row in the green. So we're doing okay. Obviously, plus, two un, plus 0.2 units is almost nothing. But we had a pretty good week the week before at the RBC Heritage. So hopefully we'll keep it going this week at the Valspar Championship. So let's get into it. A little Tampa area golf. I really do like this golf course. I played the Island course a couple times. I never got over to the Copperhead course, but I've heard, I mean, I've seen it, but I've heard that it is outstanding play-wise. Back in the Sunshine State, this tournament used to be in March, part of that Florida swing that they do with the Arnold Palmer, the, uh, the players now, I guess. And the Honda Classic, it used to be in that swing. It's not anymore. It's April now, which is a little bit because I was reading up on the grass because the grass, even though it's only a month removed, they try to overseed it and try to get the Bermuda out of it. But now, since it's later into the year, that Bermuda might take over a little bit. So the putting might be a little bit more difficult. It's going to change a little bit. Like I said at the start of the show, the Tampa area golf course had yielded great fields in the past. Tiger Woods almost winning the tournament a few years ago, like for his first win back. That was he was charging on the par three. What is that? Seventeen, the long one, like two hundred and something yards. He made like a down the hill forty footer, right to left and left to right double bender. Like it was a crazy good putt, and it was like one of those throwback Tiger moments. It was on Twitter. Excuse me, everywhere. And those was one of those tiger moments where it's like, oh shit, is he gonna fucking do it? And then he hit, I think, like iron off the tee, even though eighteen is like four hundred and something yards, and he couldn't even get whatever. Fuck it. But it's a good, it's a really good golf tournament. So let's go over the field because it's pretty damn good. World number one, Dustin Johnson is struggling. He hasn't finished inside the top ten at a tour stop since the Genesis Invitational, and that includes missing the cut at the Masters as the defending champion. He did play a couple weeks ago down in Hilton Head at the RBC Heritage. He did shoot five under in the final round. I think he finished inside the top 15, so hopefully that round kind of was a stepping stone to get back on the top of his game. Who knows? He played here back in 2019 and tied for six, so he does have decent history at this golf course. Justin Thomas, another probably the second biggest name in the field this week. 
The last time he played the Valspar, he missed the cut. That was back in 2017. Since the players, he's failed to move on to the since the players win since winning the players, he's failed to move on to the Sweet 16th, the match play. Didn't play that great and had a shitty weekend at the Masters and pushed him outside the top 20. It was pretty much one hole at the Masters, and then he made a couple more bogeys, but it was pretty much that one hole. I think it was, what, did he triple 13, I think, or double 13 or something like that? He was just fucking all over the place. That hole killed his Masters weekend outside the top 20. It was a bummer. Other big names in the field, Victor Hovland, Terrell Hatton, Patrick Reed, Scotty Scheffler, Bubba Watson, Sung J.M., Paul Casey. It is his golf tournament. So it's pretty good. It's not like the Jordan Spieth, Roy McIlroy, those kind of players of the world, Brooks Kepka, Bryson DeChambeau, but it's like that second tier where it's like, oh shit, like I'm going to put golf on this weekend because the field is actually pretty good. The golf course, Copperhead course at Innisbrook. I think it plays either a little over 72 or a little over 73. I wasn't able to, I, I couldn't find the exact number and I had the scorecard in my hand when we were at the Valspar a couple years ago, but I forget the total yards. It's a par 71, but... Is it a par 71 or is it a par 72? I'm going to look that up real quick because I know it's weird because they have a fuck ton of um, par threes. I think there's like five par threes on here. So that is super. I think there's a normal amount of par four fives. I'm about to look up a picture real quick. I don't want to give you guys the wrong information, even though I don't think. Really wish they would put a high quality fucking picture of their scorecard on this shit. Yeah, so there's three par threes on the back nine 13, 15, and 17. Crazy. So yeah, par 71, but it does have uh, four par five. So it's a very unique routing for sure. It's a little bit different, which is nice. And then it finishes, uh, features the snake pit, which if you guys know, like the bear trap. Um, at the Honda Classic, obviously, Amen Corner at Augusta National. It's one of those three-hole stretches that's, like, really, really tough. And for Innisbrook, for the Copperhead course, it's the last three holes, 16, 17, and 18. 16 is a longish par four, water all up the right, trees all down the left, and it's a really skinny fairway. There's a tree also, like, further down the fairway to the right-hand side that kind of blocks you out from the green. It's a very interesting golf hole. Excuse me. And then 17 is a par three long. I think it's over 200 yards. And then 18 uphill par four, 440 something yards, I believe. So it's a really, really hard stretch of golf to finish it up. I think Gary Woodlet said something like if you're two back, scorecard in hand, you're in the clubhouse and the leaders are coming in, you don't want to go anywhere because anything can happen down those three stretches of golf. I love that it ends it, right? The bear trap is great. Obviously, that's toward the end too. Amen quarter is really tough, but then you have the end to kind of make up for that. The hardest three holes on a golf course being the last three, I love it because it makes Sunday down the stretch just so more interesting, right? You can play four under through 15 and then just get fucked, and then you're just out of the golf tournament. Love it. Weather is hot as shit. I can tell you this time of year in Tampa sucks. Thursday's 89, mostly sunny, 13% chance of rain and 10-mile-an-hour winds. Friday, 88, partly cloudy, 19% chance of rain and 14-mile-per-hour winds. Saturday, 83, so that's a nice day. Partly cloudy, 24% chance of rain, 10-mile-an-hour winds. Sunday, 85 degrees, partly cloudy, 24% chance to rain and 8-mile-an-hour winds. 
Would not surprise me if they get a little win, uh, little rain over the weekend because Florida this time of year is pretty much it rains at 3 o'clock every single day in the afternoon, and then the wind can pick up also kind of randomly. So the weather report doesn't really mean anything until probably either the night before or the morning of. It sucks, but that's how Tampa works. Key stats. <sighs> get a sip of that real quick. Key stats. Stroke scan approach. The last three winners of the Valspar were inside the top 10 of stroke scan approach on the week. The greens around this track are smaller compared to the tour average, so hitting them in regulation is critical. If you don't, you better bring your short game. We're going to talk about the short game in a little bit when we talk about Patrick Reed. And then stroke scan T to green. The last three winners were also inside the top six when it came to stroke scan T to green. Some of the fairways are really narrow. Some of them are tree-lined. And hit, again, hitting the greens is tough because they're smaller. So if you can hit everything in regulation, you're going to take a lot of pressure off your short game and a lot of pressure off just yourself in general. So hitting everything in regulation makes your uh, week here a whole lot easier. Data golf information, course fit, number one, Warwick Hills, never heard of it. Number two, TPC Twin Cities. And number three, Meafield Village, Mirfield Village, excuse me, a.k.a. where they play the Memorial every year or the Workday Championship, whatever the fuck you want to call it. Trending of the players in the field, number one is Corey Connors. He's going to be one of the guys we talk about here in a second when we do the uh, guys to look for for the week. Last three starts T14, T8, and T4. I guess you could say he's trending. Pretty impressive. Number two is actually Justin Thomas. He has a win at the players T17 and T21. And number three is Chris Kirk. And he's going to be another name that we uh, quickly mention at the top of the players to look out for just because how he's playing right now T25, T6, T7. He's playing some golf. Percent chance to win, Justin Thomas, 6.3%. DJ is 5.2%, and Corey Connors is actually number three at 5%. If we go over some betting odds, JT is plus 700. Dustin Johnson's plus 1,000. Patrick Reed is number three at plus 14. Corey Connors plus 16. Paul Casey plus 16. Louis Oosthuizen plus 18. Victor Hovland plus 18. Terrell Hatton plus 25. Sung JM plus 25. Joaquin Neiman plus 25. Abraham Anser plus 25. Jason Kokrak, which is going to be a name to watch, is plus 28. Scotty Scheffler, 33. Russell Henley, 35. Justin Rose, 35. Uh, Cameron Tringali, plus 4,000. Bubba Watson, uh, 45. Ryan Palmer, 45. Chris Kirk, plus 5,000. Kevin Na, plus 5,000. Charlie Hoffman, plus 5,000. And Kevin Struman, plus 66. A lot of guys to consider. If you guys didn't see a name, uh, a.k.a. our guy, we're going to talk about it in a second. Max Homa is kind of... I don't know what the fuck DraftKings is doing. The guy won the Genesis a couple months ago and has been one of the most consistent players on tour. And for some reason, he is just like always not up at the top, which we like because that means betting on our guy, we get more value. I'm bringing up the sports book real quick just so I can have it in front of my face instead of the screenshot that I put in this uh, little note section that I had for you guys. ever gonna load but yeah max homa i don't know how the fuck they don't have him higher let's see plus seven thousand to win this golf tournament it kind of fits him too not too long even though he is a little bit longer off the tee now but i don't know how he doesn't get if he's uh more value than that anyway the first guy that we're going to talk about emiliano grio the kid is playing some golf he's in good form his last five starts he missed the cut at the players but other than that t21 t11 t6 t2 Pretty damn good. His stats on the year fit this course very, very well. He's 23rd in strokes gain approach, 10th in strokes gain off the tee, and 34th in strokes gain tee to green. His putting can hurt him a little bit. Not a very good putter, 
But according to Data Golf, putting at this golf course isn't the most crucial. You can get away with having an average to below average putting week and still contend and even win this golf tournament. Putting here is not super crucial. He's second on tour this season in greens of regulation, which will be huge with the smaller greens and tour average. Hopefully he'll be able to hit a lot of greens at Copperhead. That means the birdie, birdie bids are smaller. This is kind of the same deal that we went over a couple of weeks ago for the RBC Heritage, right? If you hit greens, they're going to be shorter putts just because the greens are physically smaller. If you guys don't know, that's some fucking math for you. And his only he's only played in this tournament one time. It was six years ago in 2015, and he missed the cut. So obviously that's a long time ago. Who knows how he was playing coming into that event, whatever. I put way more stock into his current form than his history at this golf course, even though it was only one appearance. Love Grio this week. I think he could actually have a pretty good week. Another guy that I'm not his biggest fan, but I mentioned him a couple of weeks ago, was Charlie Hoffman, who we actually won money uh, on at the, what was that, Valero, when he almost beat Jordan. Um, another guy, really good form. In his last five starts, he has four top uh, 20 finishes, and two of those are actually top 10s. And at this golf tournament... He had a top 20 finish in 2019, the last time this was played. Um, this was one of the tournaments that got canceled because of uh, coronavirus last year. And then he had a T11 in 2016. So he's contended at this golf course before. So we'll have to wait and see if he can do it again. The Pelican. No, what do they call him? The Pelican? The Pigeon? Something like that. And then this is one of the guys that I kind of teased before we got into everything, and that was uh, Patrick Reed. In his last five-stroke play events, Reed has a win at the Farmers, Top 10s at the Masters and the WGC concession, and a top 25 at the Players. The kid's been playing some pretty damn good golf kind of underneath the radar. Like he won the Farmers and then was kind of in the mix at the WGC and then ended up getting in the top 10, was kind of under the radar top 10 at the Masters, and then a pretty good week at the Players. He's 59th on tour this season in strokes gained T to green, but he's very first in putting, which I said that putting isn't super important this week. You can have a below average putting week and contend, but if you're the best putter in the field and you roll in a bunch of putts, that's always an advantage. And his short game is second to none. It's honestly kind of fucking stupid how good his short game is. I don't know how he does it. He gets out of jail from all over the fucking place with all of his wedges, punch shots out of the trees, greenside, bunkers, all that kind of shit. I don't know how he does it. But he's magic from off the greens. It's incredible. And he's been in the mix here on multiple occasions. In 2018, he was T2. In 2016, he was T7. In 2015, he was T2. So it would not surprise me at all if Patrick Reed goes out and wins his golf tournament this week. It would not surprise me at all. The winning score, like I already mentioned, really gets to double digits, if ever, which I think personally helps Patrick Reed. He's a grinder. He makes par from everywhere, and that's what you need to do at Copperhead. You need to keep your head down and just make pars, pars, make birdies when they come on par fives and just kind of grind out the rest of your round. That's what Patrick Reed does, and I think that's why he's been in the mix so much at this golf tournament. So he is going to be one of the names to watch. He's in for a gigantic week, I think, at the Valspar. It wouldn't be the Valspar if we didn't talk about this guy. He's won it two years in a row, or two times in a row. Paul Casey. He. This is the Paul Casey Open. That's what it is. He's going for the unprecedented three-peat. It's only happened eight times over the last 40 years, and Tiger Woods has six of those times. Since the start of 2021, in six-stroke play events, he has four top tens, Two of those are top fives. Has only missed one cut. That was, our, that was at the RBC Heritage a couple weeks ago, actually. He ended up shooting, I think, 68 in the second round to finish the week at even par. I think that was two shots. I think the cut ended up being two under. So he didn't play bad, just not well enough at a course that you need to shoot really low at to contend. And then stats-wise for the year, he's 14th in stroke seeing approach, 24th tee to green, and has a top 50 short game. He's also in the top 50 when it comes to greens and regulation, which, again, another thing, huge. 
if you hit a lot of greens, but then if you don't, your short game is also really good. That's why Paul Casey, and he's a fantastic ball striker. That's why Paul Casey is always in this golf tournament. Um, go down to Christian Kirk real quick. Not the next name on my list, but I'd rather save the other three guys before we get out of here. Um, you may not know this name. You may not know Chris Kirk. He's been on the PGA Tour for a fucking long time, over 10 years, I think, but he's playing some goddamn golf right now. T7 at the RBC Heritage, T7 at the Valero Texas Open, and top 25 at the Honda in really tough conditions. In the last 10 years, that's how far back I went to check if he's ever done it. He hasn't finished inside the top 40 at this event. But like I said, I like his current form over his history at this golf course. I just like the way he's playing right now that when DraftKings, who... I don't know if they've changed some policy. I think we talked about this last week on the show also. They just like don't have top 20 bets anymore. Hopefully that comes at some point. Right now they only have winner, top five, top 10, and round leader, which I think is bullshit. I don't know. After the Masters, they just like stopped all of those bets. I don't really sure what happened. But this guy, I think he's his name is actually kind of up there just because of the form he's in. Yeah, plus 5,000 to win. You could probably still get plus odds for a top 30. That's where I would put Kirk if those ever come out. I wouldn't go any higher than that, but I think that could be a little good value pick uh, for a top 30. And then back up, got to talk about a guy that we also won some money on a couple weeks ago, and that's Corey Connors. The level at, the, at which this kid is playing golf right now is pretty hard to ignore. He has to go on the card somewhere. After missing cut at the Genesis Invitational, he's made five-stroke play event starts. He fin- his finishes in order, third at the Arnold Palmer, seventh at the Players, T14 at the Valero Texas Open, T8 at the Masters, T4 at the RBC Heritage. The dude is striking the fucking golf ball right now. It's incredible to watch. He's ninth in stroke gained off the tee, 11th in approach, and ninth strokes gained tee to green. He's in the top 10 in both fairways and regulation and greens of regulation. All of those stats say one thing. He's playing some golf, and with that kind of game, he's going to be in it week in and week out until he fades a little bit. I think this venue is perfect for him. He's a fantastic ball striker. He's a really good iron player, one of the best iron players in the world. If he finds fairways, he's going to find greens, and he's a great putter. We'll see if it happens. Uh, He's only started once at this golf tournament before. That was back in 2018, and he finished T16. So only one start, but a top 20 finish, that's probably where I would put him. I really like Corey Connors. I don't know if you're going to get plus odds for him for a top 20 because he's the fourth favorite. So you'd probably have to stretch it to a top 10 where you can get plus 160. That's probably where I'm going to end up putting him on my card. I just think the way that he's playing golf right now, it would be a really, really big surprise if he doesn't contend come Sunday afternoon. I just don't see it. And then Sung J.M., he missed a cut at the Zurich and the Masters, but aside from that, has only finished outside the top 30 twice in 2021 in 12 starts. He has six top 20s um, and I think two top 10s. His most recent solo start was the RBC Heritage, and he finished T13. On the year, he's seventh in strokes gained off the tee, which is big. This is a little bit surprising when I was looking it up. He's almost he's 89th in strokes gained approach. With the, amount, with the level ball striker he is, that's very surprising to me. He's 60th tee to green and 19th in putting, so he's putting the ball really well. He's 30th in greens of regulation and 11th in fairways in regulation. So what that tells me is strokes and approach is low, but his greens of regulation isn't too bad. It probably means that his distance to hole, what the fuck do they call that? Why am I blanking on that term? You're probably screaming it in your car or wherever you're listening to this, in your headphones, wherever you're listening to this, what is that? Proximity, bang. His proximity probably isn't great, right? He might be hitting a bunch of greens, but they might be all 40-foot putts. That's what that tells me. He's only He only has one start at the Valspar, and I think it was in 2019, and he finished in the top five. And I think that's because, I mean, he's a phenomenal ball striker. He's really good off the tee, and if he gets hot with the putter, he can fucking roll it and make a lot of birdies. 
Sung J.M., I don't see a scenario in which he's not kind of in the mix this week. I think he's in for a good week. Again, I don't know the, I don't know if you can get him for plus odds. You might be able to. He's plus 250 for a top 10, which usually means he's probably around plus 130-ish for a top 20. That's where I would put him. I really like that bet this week. And then the last guy we're going to talk about is our guy before we get out of here, Max, Max Homa. Uh, Max and Gooch had a solid week in the NL, placing T17. Aside, he missed the cut at the players, missed the cut at the Masters. He's been one of the more consistent players on tour this season. I talk about him every week. I talk about the same thing every week just because he's been playing really good golf in 2021. He's inside the top 50 in strokes gained T to green, and his putter remains pretty solid. He used to struggle with the putter a lot. And then I forget what golf tournament, I think, what was it, the AT&T Pebble Beach, maybe, that he was rolling the rock like a fucking madman. He was making a bunch of putts. And after that week, the putter kind of turned on for him. He's missed the cut at all of his appearances at this event, but I think he played it in two or three times. But when he played it, that event a couple years ago and even three or four years ago, completely different player than he is now. Like, Max Homa is a bona fide top 50 player in the world. Back then, he was struggling to make a cut every week. So his course history here does not concern me whatsoever. He's been one of the more consistent players on tour. Again, he's plus 7,000 to win. He's plus 500 for just a top 10. I'm probably going to end up taking him probably top 20, even if I can get good odds for him top 30, just to give myself a little bit of a cushion. I just don't know why. I mean, I love it that he's getting that much value. Like that's sick for me and all our betters on this end, but I just don't understand. I don't get it. But Max Homa, I think it fits his game a little bit too. He's a little bit longer off the tee now. He's going to have shorter irons into these greens if he can stay accurate off the tee. And then he's a fantastic iron player. He's just going to have to get the putter going a little bit. But I think he could actually have a pretty good week. But those are all the guys. That's what we got for the Valspar. It's a great tournament. Um, If you guys are going, let me know. Send me some pictures. I can post it to the gram. It's a really awesome tournament. Uh, been there a couple times. The course is gorgeous. It's usually in pretty good shape, although I've never seen it this time of year. It's always in March. I've only been in March. So we'll see how the tournament goes. Um, for the socials, at Riley Hamill underscore is my personal. Make sure you reach out with questions, comments about the show, whatever. At Twilight9Pod is the Instagram for the show. Again, DM that one. I want to hear what you guys think about the Friday show. Like, let me know what you guys would rather listen to, like a weekend preview betting wise, or would you just rather have like, me and like a buddy come on the show, shoot the shit about golf, what's going on in the golf tournament, maybe watching golf at the same time as recording, mix it up a little bit, right? A little live reaction to like PGA Tour Live or something like that. Talk about our games, golf tips, all that kind of stuff. Like I said, when I have interviews, Friday is when they're going to be released. So once those come out, obviously we'll have Friday episodes here and there, but I would like to make it a second show of the week. So reach out to the Instagram and let me know what you'd rather listen to. Just shoot the shit or more betting stuff going into the weekend, maybe an update on the bets we have. Or it could be everything, depending on how long you guys want the show. Obviously, I'm going to do what I want to do, but also I would want to include stuff that you guys want to hear about. So let me know about all that. Reach out to that stuff. Pay attention to twilight9.com. That's when all the betting stuff is going to go out on Wednesday. But enjoy the Valspar Championship. Um, I think Wells Fargo is next week, which the field's stacked. Max Homa is the defending champion. He won it back in 2019 canceled last year so our boy is the defending champion i know roy's playing in it so our guys are going to be at the wells fargo uh roy's another uh past champion of that event so maybe that's a week that he can turn it around but enjoy the valspar it's a really awesome golf course reach out on instagram let me know what you think about the tournament about the golf course and i will talk to you guys next week peace